You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. We are continuing through a series called Redefining Religion based out of the Gospel of Luke. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you now, Luke chapter 5 is where I'm going to be, verses 1 to 11. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along or on your phone, uh, or if you're just listening to this recording, uh, feel free to just follow along as I read. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11 says these words. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, of course, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that is more commonly quite simply known as the Sea of Galilee. And he, had, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or commonly more known as Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Through this season, I've been reflecting a lot uh, on our church, Restoration Church, and have just been filled with gratitude for God's grace upon our church, this small church plant that is really nomadic, that every Sunday is a little bit different, but God is, God is growing us. He's, he's growing us with more people, but also just, I feel like he's challenging us as well. And, and I've just been really filled with gratitude and it's made me reflect on the last really three or four years as this thing was just kind of not even, not even necessarily you could actually visually see it in, in manifestation, but, but just as it kind of came together in, in, in my heart and in my mind and also in, in many others who were a part of Restoration Church. And it brought me back to a conference that I was at called Exponential, which is a church planting conference. This would have been four years ago where I was already convinced about church planting, that this was something that was good that I wanted to get behind, not necessarily me being the planter. I, I really wasn't challenged by that at that point. But at this exponential conference, I was with many from our mother church. And I remember the final session. And it seemed like the last the last couple days, I just was being challenged by the Holy Spirit and being convicted by the Holy Spirit about church planting. And just him saying, you know, this is something that that not only are you supposed to get behind, but 
that you could be the one to lead it. And, you know, I was at that prospect, I was filled with fear and trepidation of what that would look like. I mean, my mother church, I got along with them. It was a great situation. I'd been there for a number of years and I, I really wasn't looking to leave. They, they treated my wife and I, my family really well. We had a lot of people there that we loved. And I remember being really scared. For one, more than just the, the, the thought of leaving some things behind, there was the thought of, I, I already, like I can't see what this thing's gonna look like. I have no idea what it's gonna look like. And I already, in my head and my heart, was filled with fear of failure. Like, the, what if it fails? What if I suck? <laughs> what if... What if this is not what, you know, what everything is made out to be? And in all that fear, I remember it came down to the the last conference, last session in that conference, and they were calling people forward to commit to, you know, if God was laying it on their heart to to be a part of a church plant. And I could just feel the spirit, like almost pulling me. And he he literally had to had to carry me down to the front to be prayed over. Uh, it was one of the closest moments I've had with God in my life. Still fear filled with a ton of fear. But the first step in, in that church plant wasn't for me, was not to be like hyped. Because I wasn't. I was afraid. The first step in Restoration Church was not planning. It was not. Uh, it was not excitement. It was obedience. A simple yes. And I, I really, all of the great things in my life that God has given me, and I, I don't deserve any of the thing, the, the amazing things that God has given me in my life when I think of my family and my wife and the church that I'm a part of and, and, and the house that I have. All of, all of those things were entered into with a ton of fear. But they all began with a yes. I don't think I felt ready for any of those things. I don't think I felt prepared or worthy of any of those things, but they all began with a yes. Uh, just before all hell broke loose this year, my family and I were able to go to Hawaii. Highly recommended. Uh, amazing place. We were, in, we were on the island of Kauai and then Maui. And on Maui, and I, I don't know about you, but whether you are the one in your family that is the one who plans the vacation, that's me. Like I, I'm the one who does all the research and this is what we're going to do this day. These are our rest days, all, all that kind of stuff. I love, I love doing that. And maybe on the egotistical side, I always think my, my plan is usually the best plan. But uh, one, of the, one of the days we had planned was uh, we were going to wake up at three in the morning. Now, this is my idea. Remember, I kind of have to get people on board with this. We're going to wake up actually more like 2.30 in the morning, leave at about 3.30 and drive 10,000 feet up, about two-hour drive from, from, from where our resort was to uh, Haleakala, which is a dormant volcano, which is, you know, look to us, it just looks like a mountain. It's, it's a huge mountain and over 10,000 feet up to watch the sunrise. And it's freezing, it's windy. You never thought in Hawaii you'd have to bring a coat, but we had to bring coats and toques and mittens and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we got little kids and my whole family and my wife's extended family. But 
I knew not ever like, like I have no idea what it was going to look like. Like this, this might be a, a complete waste. Like what if it's cloudy? What? I have no idea what this thing's going to look like. And, and I remember my alarm going off at about two 30 in the morning, that Tuesday morning and thinking, you know what? Maybe we'll just stay here. <laughs> no one else in the family is going to complain. Uh, for a split second, I thought, maybe this isn't such a good idea. But it took just a simple, yes, we're going to go. And uh, we, got in the, we, we got in the van. Everyone drove up. It was, you know, once you're out, once I'm, once I'm awake, I'm excited. So once, once we got out, we drove up right to the top. And, yeah, it's freezing cold and windy. And the kids were troopers. But, man, once that sun came up, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. Like absolutely mind-blowingly gorgeous, the scenery. And even though in my bed that morning, you know, I, I didn't know what it was going to look like. But to experience that potential took one simple step of obedience. It took a step step of yes. Here, here's kind of the point where I'm going. The first step in seeing potential is obedience. And that's what was happening here in our passage in Luke chapter 5 with these group of guys whose lives were completely upended in a single day. Like When they woke up that morning when Jesus is preaching by the shore, by the Sea of Galilee, when they woke up that morning, they had no clue what was going to happen, what it would lead to. I mean, their plan was to fish, right? They're just going to fish. And, you know, whether they had anything else on, on the agenda, I'm not sure, but th- their plan for that day was simply just to fish. And by the end of the day, though, uh, the trajectory of their lives were completely changed. Now, they wouldn't see the full potential of, of what they were actually going to be a part of until much later. But in a single day, their lives are completely changed the trajectory of their lives were completely changed. And Jesus kind of marks this. I'm going to be kind of starting at the end and working my way backwards. Jesus marks this when he says, you know, do not be be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And I was, when I hear that from now on, it always reminds me of the Hugh Jackman film, The Greatest Showman. That's one of the big songs, the from now on. It marked this change that your life will never be the same from this moment onward. And it says in verse 11, they left everything you know they brought their boats to land and they left everything and followed him now i want you to consider something because for them they literally did leave their jobs they had to leave their family for a while when we talk about following jesus we're not necessarily saying that you have to leave your job and leave your family in fact like by and large the majority of us should not do that So it doesn't look the exact same way, but so what do we take from this? Because I don't believe that it looks the exact same way for everyone, but the meaning is found in something much more profound that does apply to all of us when we still make that decision from now on, our life is changed and following Jesus because following Jesus means leaving and then finding something new. It means you're leaving an old thing and finding something new. 
Second Corinthians five verse seventeen says, "For for anyone who's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has the old's gone, and the new has come." Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who uh, puts this in much more stark terms when he says, "When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die." For Bonhoeffer, that was true. He actually did die, but he means something more than just your physical life. I was, I always kind of give this illustration. My wife and I, you know, before I was married, my diet consisted of toaster strudels and Jamaican patties. Like that, (laughs) that was my diet. And I remember I, 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 I grew up with stomach aches and I'm pretty sure it was related to dairy products, but really having no idea. Um, but I remember after getting married, when my wife eats healthy and she is very healthy and, and it's not, not like crazy healthy, but like we still eat food, <laughs> but things like vegetables, like broccoli, what is this broccoli and asparagus and all this kind of, we actually eat this stuff. You know, as a single bachelor guy, you know, where, where's the, you know, the crap that we ate really. But I remember my, my down to my stomach was changed like my stomach was thanking me for my lifestyle change and what happened in my marriage not just food but in a lot of things my old ways of life died and I embraced a new life one with my wife and that's what leaving everything to follow Jesus means it's one reality has died and a new one is born that's much more than just your job or the location that you're in i love this verse in romans 6 verse 17 and 18 it says this but thanks be to god that you who were once this was your old way they were, you were once slaves of sin this is what's happened you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and you've been set free from sin you become now slaves of righteousness what that's saying is when you follow Jesus, uh, there's something deeper than just leaving, you know, job, location, and, and, and things like that. The, the, here's, here's, here's what I believe is happening. You have new priorities. The old priorities have died. You have new priorities in life. The old purposes have died, and you have new purposes in life, and the old potential has died, and now you have a new potential in every aspect of your life. And what I mean by priorities is this. What is most important to you has changed purposes. Why am I doing this has changed. And then potential. The end goal to seek the kingdom of God. That's new. And that reality happens to this man, Simon, here this day. And we find in verse one, Jesus is standing by the shore of the Sea of Galilee and the crowd is pressing in. They're clearly not social distancing, crazy people. Jesus sees two boats. Fishermen are washing their nets after a really rough morning with no nibbles whatsoever. You got to understand these guys who are washing their nets, like there's, they survive off this. So if they don't catch any fish, I mean, they got nothing to bring home. To their fish. They got nothing. They got, they got no money to bring home. There's no serb for these guys. Anyway, he sees these fi- these fishermen who are washing their nets. There's two, two boats at the shore and Jesus kind of imp- improvises because there's crowds are all crowding around and, Really, what he does is ask Simon to be a sound guy. You know, I'm going to go out into the, can I use your bow? I'm going to go out into the water a little bit. And if you've ever talked over water, 
sound carries, which means if Jesus is back a little bit in the water, what he can do when he speaks is more people can hear him as they're crowded around the shore. It's very simple. And really, (laughs) Simon became a sound guy for that service. And once Jesus finishes speaking, everything's everything's fine. This is, you know, teacher, rabbi, he's speaking to a big crowd. There's no problem at all. It's interesting when he goes to his sound guy, Simon, doesn't, you know, give him a high five like I typically do with my sound guys, good service guys, and then he gives him advice, you know, make sure the sound was tight for next week and how to how could how to make it tighter for next week. Jesus says this to him. Go out into don't go out again into the deep. Now we know the rest of the story. You know, there's a miracle of fish. It's overflowing. They bring over the other boat. It's still too big of a catch. And of course, this might be the biggest understatement of the year, or of this passage at least. When they see it, for he and all who were with him were astonished. Yeah. And by the end of this story, Jesus gives this new ma- this man a new priority, new purposes and new potential. And he says, you're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch people. Now at that point, I'm not sure if Peter has any idea what he's talking about. Okay. He has no idea. I know for sure this, he has no idea what the view looks like. You know, he, like me standing on the mountain, he's, he's still in bed. Right? The, the alarm is going off, like telling him to go, but he, he has no idea what the mountaintop view is going to look, look like. And the irony is, remember these books in the New Testament were written later than they actually happened. This wasn't like a live vlog where people could follow on YouTube and you wonder what's going to happen next. They all knew Peter. They all knew Simon Peter. Like this man, they knew his mountaintop view that God, you know, the story that God was writing for this man, they knew his potential. Like this was an apostle. This was one of the, you know, foremost guys who spread Christianity throughout the known world at that time when, when Luke writes this. So everyone knows the mountaintop view for Peter. But in this story, Peter doesn't have any, any idea. And I was wondering before that day, what were Peter's life's goals? Like what was his, what was his priorities what were his purposes what was his potential that he thought of in his life and i guess i would ask the same question to you is what right now as you're thinking what are your priorities what are your purposes what do you believe is the potential in in your life and his goals were not anything like what god had pictured in his in in his own mind uh my encouragement to you is this, your assessment of yourself and your own life, because you might feel like my life is a failure. I'm not going anywhere. Your assessment is not a hindrance to God's plans for you. But here's where I'm really going today. Because before the, because Peter was this, he wrote books that were canonized in the Bible. Before the writing of books, before the apostling, don't think that's a word, before the preaching, before the church planting, before the explosion of the church in the world, before the resurrection of Jesus, before witnessing Jesus all for a couple of years all throughout the countryside, seeing all the miracles, before, before even the miraculous, before leaving everything, and before the miraculous catch of fish. What began it all was a simple choice. And it says this in verse 4 and 5. When Jesus finished speaking, he says to Simon, 
put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But here's the choice. But at your word, I will let down the nets. See, before seeing all of that potential in Peter's life, the first step was obedience. See, when God calls you to a new priority or new purpose, whether that's sharing the gospel with someone, whether that's leading a Bible study at a church, whether that's just, you know, whether that's discipling your family, maybe it's starting an initiative in, in your context, in your job or in your school that would see God's kingdom purposes here on this earth or simply following Jesus. When God first calls you to that, you won't see the potential. Like you won't see the mountaintop view when he calls you to it. But it will always begin with obedience. And, and here's the crazy part. Not only is it just obedience, but for Peter it was obedience at the expense of, and there's two things, obedience at the expense of, first one is this, the way that you feel. Is obedience at the expense of the way that you feel. Guys, obedience doesn't always feel great. In fact, often it doesn't feel great at all. And I love, I love the book of Luke because it's so descriptive. It begs you to put, your, you put yourself in the shoes of the character. And as, this is, as you're reading, it begs you to put yourself in, in Peter's shoes. <laughs> and when, when Jesus says, go out again, let down your nets again after you've finished washing them even. Peter says, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. <laughs> you know, you ever have that day, that horrible day at work, that horrible day at school where everything is going wrong, every email goes wrong, every meeting is a struggle, every paper is a bad mark, you've got a migrant, whatever, whatever it is, you're tired. I'm a simple guy, okay? Uh, I'm usually doing okay if I'm tired or hungry, unless I'm tired or hungry. And if I'm both, I'm really not doing okay. I can be very short. And I feel like last Sunday at church, uh, we did an afternoon service and I was just not used to it. I was not feeling it at all. And I was tired. I was hungry. I I was not feeling it. And it's, the, the crazy thing is, usually when God calls you to something in obedience it, it, or confronts you with something that you should do something, I find it's always on those kind of days. You know, when things aren't going that well and you're not feeling great and you're thinking, that's the last thing I feel like doing. Like, God, do, you re- do I really have to go to that Bible? Like, do I have to really have to lead this Bible study? Do I really have to show grace to this guy who's been a jerk to me all day? And like say, if you're hungry and tired, like like me and, and, and Peter's both of them, Simon Peter's both of them. He's hungry. He's tired. He's got to go home to his family and say, we've caught nothing. It's like you've worked hard, but you have nothing to show for it. One of those kind of days. And imagine that they've just washed their nets. Like this, is, this is backbreaking work. They're 
likely exhausted. They've been out all night fishing. And they're washing their nets. And some guy comes up and says, put him out again. He doesn't feel great. And likely his obedience was begrudging, but he responds to Jesus with, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I think especially young people, now it's not just young people, but young people especially, we love the word passion. Christian young people love the word passion. You know, we put it in resumes, we say it at church, and I'm just really passionate about this. We have conferences that are called passion conferences. We have music albums that are passion music and all this kind of stuff. We love the word passion. There's not too many. I don't know if there's any albums or conferences called like uh, 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 when life feels like a slog, <laughs> right? Obedience in the slog. Uh, I don't have a problem with passion, but here, here's, here's, here's where I'm going. Often we won't do something because we're not passionate about it. You know, maybe God is calling you to do something, but you've said to him, I'm ah, just not passionate about that. You know, like, can you serve in this capacity? I'm just, yeah, I'm just not passionate about it. Um, often obedience comes before passion. You think Simon was passionate about discipleship? Jesus says, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be catching men. You're going to you're going to you're going to be the one uh, telling them about Jesus, telling them about the good good news, and seeing the kingdom of God expand. Do you think Peter was passionate about that? Do you think he was passionate about discipleship? This this fisherman. You know, I don't even know if hey, he had any idea what it, what that's supposed to even mean. The passion does come later, in great amounts, but obedience comes first. Passion comes later, but obedience comes first. So is obedience at the expense of how you feel? Not only that, secondly, it's obedience at the expense of the experience you've had. Imagine a preacher going up to a fisherman, telling him how to fish better. Like, imagine the frustration you would feel. That's like me. I'm a pastor. You know, we've got a lot of really artistic people telling you, you know, you should, you should shade this better. You should do... I don't have a clue what I'm talking about. If I told someone from my church who's an artist, you know, how to make their art better, they'd be like, are you, you know, stick to preaching, pastor, okay? <laughs> You're no artist. And granted, I'm not. And... Not only that, Jesus tells him to let down their nets in the middle of the day into the deep. Well, that is not the experience that you've had. Like these guys have been fishing for their, before they were born, they've been fishing and they know to catch fish, you fish when it's cool or early in the morning when it's dark in the shallows. You don't go out into the deep part of the lake and fish in the middle of the, the heat of the day. That's not how you catch fish. And yet this guy, this preacher tells him to do exactly what you know in your experience will not work. It goes against all of your experience, all of your intuition. And how many times have you said, maybe when God confronts you with something and you know, you're supposed to follow in obedience, say, well, that's not going to work. 
We've tried that before. That's not going to work. And I think for me, there's things that come to mind, like, you know, at Restoration Church, you know, we, we do prayer meetings. And it's not the sexiest thing that we do. We just pray. We don't, we don't spice it up at all. We, we just pray because God calls us to pray. And it would be, it's obedience for us to, to start with prayer. And, and often, maybe this is for you, whether you go to Restoration Church or not, often, you know, it's not our most well-attended thing. And that's not to guilt you at all, but because there's a lot of times when I'm like, man, I don't even feel like going, but here's the deal. And that, that's a response of obedience, and sometimes you might be tempted to think, and like I am, well, we tried that before, it's not going to work. So this obedience, this simple yes, came at the expense of the way that you feel and also the experience that you've had. And against all of these feelings and experiences, Peter says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. A simple yes, and his life is changed. I'm going to end with this. Because the most important thing that changed in his life was not his job. It wasn't his job. The most important thing that changed in his life that day was not his mission. The most important thing that changed in his life was what he believed was true about God. And what he believed was true about himself. Look at verse 8. Because after the miracle happens, Simon Peter sees this miracle in verse 8. Then he falls down at Jesus' knees. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Wow. Here's the lie that we can believe that is a religious lie that we have ingrained inside of our hearts that we need to praise ripped out. Here's the religious lie we believe. That God works best with those who are professionals, those who are prepared, and those who are worthy. Those are the people that God works best. It is the professionals who change the world. You know, it's the pastors of the world that change the world. It's or it's those, you know, who really know what they're doing. It's those who are prepared to serve. And those who are worthy for the task. Those are the people God works with. But Jesus uses this man, gives a miracle, and Simon is confronted with God. Peter says this, depart from me. Uh, He says, depart from me. And what I believe he's meaning is this. That, you know, I'm, I'm just a fisherman. I'm not prepared. I'm not worthy. And he's filled with fear. Like what? Because he realizes who Jesus is. Oh, Lord, this is more than just a man. How could, how could God, how could this, this God who does miracles, what's he going to do with me? This God can't use a person like me. And I believe we we think the same thing. When God calls us to something, we are filled 
with fear. We can so easily believe that religious lie that if I was a pastor, then I wouldn't be afraid to do what God is calling me to do. If I was more prepared, then I wouldn't be afraid to do what God is calling me to do. If I was more worthy, then I wouldn't be afraid to do what God is calling me to do. And guys, that is just religious crap. That is the belief that if I can somehow do more and more and more and more, then God will be okay with me and then I won't be afraid. And I love what Jesus says back to him. Do not be afraid. And what I believe he's saying is this. If you have me, you have everything that you need. And guys, God is calling you to follow him. And if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. Here's how I'm going to close today. The mission of God was not propelled forward by professionals who were prepared and worthy for, uh, for the task that they were given. The mission of God was propelled forward by the power of God working through unprepared, unworthy, unprofessional people who simply said yes. God, thank you for this encouragement. God, I pray that if those who are listening, that you are calling us to a grand potential that we don't see. I pray that we would respond at the expense of how we feel, at the expense of the experience we've had, that we would respond with a yes. In you, we have everything we need. Lord, would you take that lie away from us that if we were more professional, if we were more prepared, if we were more worthy, then you could use us, Lord. But you use people who just simply say yes. Thank you, God. I pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.